most courageous thing in the world to ask for the thing you most want that you're afraid of asking for. I am so excited today because I'm chatting with someone that I have heard about for years. His name is Max Rivers and he is also called The Marriage Mediator. Isn't that a great title? He's written books on the, on the topic around communication and mediation and his last book is called Loving Conflict, which I think is a fantastic title. And that's really what we're going to chat about today to actually have a reframe around conflict, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's do you want to, to want to dive in right there and just tell us a little bit? Because conflict is so huge with couples. A lot of couples come to Tantra actually because there's conflict going on and they're trying to resolve it. So what's yeah. your on that? That's, well, that's exactly why I chose mediation instead of therapy as the modality for doing healing with couples. Because I don't think couples have a psychological problem when they're having conflict. I think they have a conflict issue. And in this culture, we don't know how to deal with conflict. I mean, look at what's going on in the West right now and politically. If, if somebody disagrees with you, they become your enemy. Yeah. And that's especially bad if you sleep with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want to go to war with the people that you're living with. And so I, I was finishing up a computer career when I met my fiance, now wife, and we, I, I was looking for a new career and that one that would solve this issue. First, I was thinking of the world, actually, and then realizing the same thing was happening in our beds that was happening in the wide world. How could we expect politicians to deal with conflict if we can't do it with the person we love most in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I stumbled onto mediation and my fiance and I took a 20 hour training. So the concepts of doing conflict resolution are not that complicated because in 20 hours you can become a professional mediator. The mm. thing is we're not taught those skills. And what happened was her and my relationship, our communication improved a thousand percent. Wow. Because all of those places where we had differences, we now could get the benefit of those differences instead of descending into conflict. Wow. I love that. So, so instead that, of the conflict being just a problem to be solved, you actually found benefit in it. Exactly. And it turns out relationship is about difference. You know, there was a Seinfeld episode where he goes out to, on a date with a woman and she orders cold cereal for dinner in a restaurant. And he tells his friend George the next morning, that's what I've been looking for all along. It's me. And by the end of the week, they're so bored with each other, they don't even bother breaking up. You're not, <laughs> looking, you're not looking for you. You have you. <laughs> it's you're true. Looking, you're looking for other. You're looking for the rest. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, you know? nice. <laughs> and, and so no matter what your list is of what your conscious mind thinks you're looking for, it turns out our unconscious is looking for the fulfillment of the rest of the universe to come into you, to complete you, and also to have what you do have be given in love to another partner. Mm. Yeah, so, I, so, I so love this idea. Uh -huh. It reminds me when I got married many years ago, I'm, I'm all fire, I'm a triple fire sign, and I fall in love with a man who's all water, I always do. 
And when we got, when we were doing our uniting ceremony, I bought a bowl of fire with a candle. He bought a bowl of water and we exchanged them to honor that we're here to give our gifts to each other, that we're different, but that it can actually be a gift. But we realized it's important that you see that the difference is, is something you're attracted to and even something you need. Exactly. And you can see that's a great metaphor because you can see if you work them together, you could have warm water and tea and soup. And if you don't do them together, you get steam. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and most couples are settling for steam. Yeah. Because they're just missing a few skills. So the skill set that, that Elise and I, my wife and I, were using together, we were in small claims court then as mediators, and we were trying to teach that to the clients. Mm -hmm. Because in small claims court, most people know each other. And... It was hard to do that because the model of mediator is a third party, a neutral third party. And most people don't have mediators in their relationship. We happen to have two in ours, but most people don't. We were bemoaning that in the lunchroom at the mediation place. And somebody said, you want to teach them NVC, nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. And so we studied that. And at first it seemed like he was right that NVC is mediation skills, but for the two people that are involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. It turns out as you go into it, though, it actually took us deeper into the cause of conflict, uh -huh. which is really where the way I like to do my, all of my holistic healing. I don't like plucking at the leaves. I want to go down all the way down to the root. Yeah. And it turns out, according to Marshall Rosenberg, who created NVC, everything we do and everything we say is an attempt to get our beautiful, life-affirming, positive intended needs met. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and, if, <clears throat> and if you consider that everything your partner is doing and saying is about that, and something that they do doesn't seem like it's about that, instead of attacking them for not doing it right, or if a need of yours goes unmet, instead of attacking them for not meeting that need, what you want to do is get curious about, so where is, what is the beautiful life affirming heart's desire, which is what I call needs now. What is their that heart's you are, desire? You also are theirs or both. Are um, you trying to fight, feel what your partner's needs are? Or are you trying to feel what your needs are? Or is it sometimes a bit of both? Always a bit of both. Always a bit. <laughs> okay. In fact, strangely, this is the advanced relationship skill I teach. There are two sets of needs in your relationship always, always, always. Yeah. And if only one of them is being represented, half of the world is missing. Oh, oh I love that. Yeah. And so if getting your need met becomes all you're thinking about, even if you succeeded that, I mean, some people can scare their partners into saying, like, this is the message of anger. The message of anger is, we're going to talk about my needs and only my needs, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can scare someone into saying yes, but you don't really want your partner to say yes to that. Mm -hmm. You want them to say, well, yeah, I'm interested in your needs, but mine need to get met simultaneously. Yeah. 
And, and that's, is that that's possible? Cool. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because sometimes to the logical mind, it looks like, for example, the need for space and the need for connection is a typical one that comes up in couples. Right. One needs more security and the other one needs more freedom. Often the masculine wants more freedom, but not always. And so then in, in the logical brain, it's like, well, that's a conflict of needs. How do we match both when they appear to be so vastly different? So yeah. So can I give you a difficult one like that? And <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you give, me, give me your worst. <laughs> so the beautiful thing Marshall did was he separated out strategies from needs. So the need is the desire that the heart has, freedom, connection, whatever. Mm -hmm. And what you'll notice about those words is they, they are a description of the truth of you, not the truth, the truth of you. And they don't refer to other people Mm -hmm. They refer to your truth. Strategies, well, so first let me say a little bit more about needs. As a result of that, they're incredibly flexible. So for instance, the need for nourishment can be met by anything that human beings can digest. I mean, you're certainly going to have preferences about what it is you want to eat. But there's a thousand different things that can meet your need for nourishment. Right. Another thing about needs is that other people don't cause them. Our needs, are, right. our, our needs are caused by the, the need of our system, of our spirit, mm -hmm. and our, of our physical system in order to function and flourish. Mm -hmm. So other people don't You're cause really them. encouraging owning our needs because I, I know that in relationship we kind of project them and make it someone else's responsibility or someone else's fault, right? Yeah. We need to just own our needs. Well, there are two sets of needs, according to my theory. The f there's autonomous needs, okay. and there are relational needs. Oh. And, and uh, autonomous needs, you really need to meet yourself. Yeah. Um, there are some that are both as well, like security. But it turns out that you need to meet yours first. Mm -hmm. So if I have a need for security, if I'm feeling insecure in myself, I will end up feeling insecure in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And there is a security that can come from being in a relationship. But if my partner is really trying to convince me that the relationship is secure, but I haven't done the autonomous part of security yet, he, that person is going to be pouring their beautiful intention into a bucket with no bottom. So our needs refer to ourselves and we need to understand them and at the very least, be able to communicate them as the beauty of our desire and not as what the partner is doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing couples often do is when they get in touch with a desire, they immediately go to what I call their sticky strategy, the strategy that they would most prefer to meet that need, and they communicate their need as a strategy. The, the strategies are important. They're the way we get our needs met. They're the action we take to get our needs met, but they only exist to satisfy need. So let's say that I have a need for nourishment and my favorite strategy for that is pizza. And I say to you, you wanna go out for pizza? That's fine. If you say yes, we go out for pizza. If you say no, I need to give up pizza right away. Because we don't really understand what we're asking for when we ask a question. A question is really three parts. The first part is, I have a need. The second part is I ha have a strategy I'd like to suggest. But the question I'm really asking is, 
would that strategy meet your need? Right. And when a person says no, they're not asking you to explain better why this meets your need, my own need. They're saying it's not meeting a need of yours. What should you be doing? Getting curious about what this need is. Yeah. So you, you drop this strategy, drop down to the need level. Okay, well, my need was for nourishment. Well, my need was for, uh, for entertainment. I wanted to go out to a movie. Mm-hmm. And, and there's one in like 20 minutes. So what should we do? That's the place where it seems like needs are in conflict. Yeah. They're, they're not. This is what's true about them. This is what's true about you. Then the next step is co-creating a strategy that will meet both of your needs. Aha. That's nice. Yeah. Now that may mean that, uh, you know, there's a pizza place right next to the movie theater. And so we'll go there and while you're getting the tickets, I'll get a slice yeah. or whatever. Or we may have to do them sequentially. One of us may have to park our needs or whatever. Mm -hmm. But what happens is couples, if you are fighting, you are fighting at the strategic level. If you have conflict, you're at the strategic level. What's the answer to that? Should you shout at your partner? Should you call them names? Should you try to force them into your way of thinking? No. You drop your strategies, float down to the need level, Uh and have a needs-based negotiation. Oh, that's so fantastic. I love it. What if you don't know what your needs are? Like it's easy with pizza. Okay. I need nourishment. But what about like, I don't know, sometimes we want, we have a strategy that we're really aware of and we, and the need can be a little bit cure, a little bit, you know, difficult to really pinpoint why we, why we have that strategy. Do you have a way to help people, you know, get into I do. I do. So yeah, in, in a capitalist hierarchical culture, they prefer that we don't know what our needs are. It's much easier to sell and control someone who doesn't know what their needs are. Mm -hmm. If you know you have a need for rest and your employer says, I want you to stay for overtime, you're less likely to stay for overtime because you know you have a need for rest. (laughs) You're much harder to control and you're much harder to sell to. They can't keep selling you jeans just by slightly changing the form when you know you've only had a need to be clothed and you already are satisfying that need. So I think that's some of the reason also, also, well, that's some of the reason why needs are hard for us to know. We're not taught them. It's not actually necessary that you be able to name your needs all the time, but there are certain needs that show up for us in a form which is really detrimental to relationship and society and your own well-being. And Marshall talked a little bit about this. Um, Some of our needs we express as what he called moral judgments of the other person. When you communicate your need as a judgment of the other person, although you're focused on the trying to get this dissatisfaction off of you, When you're on the receiving end of a judgment, it feels like an attack because it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you give an example of that? Because that sounds really interesting. Um, And I'm thinking how often couples have a judgment uh, about one another. I'm thinking of the typical, he never takes the garbage out or something like that, and and attacks into a launch. And it's really useless to get the need met, right? Uh, Yeah. how, (laughs) How would that be reframed? How would you. Yeah move that from your attack, from your judgment. Exactly. So and the example you gave is really interesting too, because it illustrates a point I want to make. What I think, 
Marshall talked about um, how judgments are what he called tragic expressions of unmet needs. Mm -hmm. Tragic because if you express your need as a judgment, you don't get it met, you get conflict. Yeah. Right. The other person doesn't hear in your attack what it is you're wanting. The interesting thing about a judgment that I figured out over the years is that they tend to be the opposite of what it is we're wanting. Huh. This, this idea I came up with forbidden needs. There are a certain pile of needs that each of us have that went unmet so consistently when we were young or in earlier relationships that we've come to believe that they're forbidden to us. Right. And if they're forbidden to communicate, but you have the need and you have to get it out, what should you do? So the psyche in its kind of wild, artistic, crazy way that it handles things, it, it makes you say the opposite. So if I'm wanting warmth from you and intimacy, what I'll say to you is, you know, when I first met you, you seemed like a really warm person, but you're kind of a cold fish, aren't you? Right, that in that way. Now, and so by, you, by the form in which we communicate our beautiful needs, mm -hmm. we create conflict, violence, and recreate our family of origin in what was designed to be the situation where we healed that. Mm -hmm. And it's the exact opposite of what it is we're trying to, we deeply, deeply want to achieve. Maybe right. we're almost so afraid of not getting our needs met that we kind of jeopardize it, you know? Like sometimes we just recreate what we expect to find and, you know, and end up with that instead of breaking through it. Do you think because, we, because we don't see people modeling, pushing through their terror. And it is, each of these little forbidden needs is kind of candy coated with a coating of terror. Yeah. And when you touch into it, the first thing it discharges is this gas into the air of terror. And it is the most courageous thing in the world to ask for the thing you most want that you're afraid of asking for. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it turns out that's the way you heal a forbidden need. Three successful requests for a forbidden need from your partner, which is met with a successful yes the forbidden need begins to dissolve. Wow, that's fantastic. So three successful meets. And you could, you could make that really conscious, couldn't you? And say, you know, beloved, as a child, this need was never met. Would you be willing to meet it for me, you know, just so that I start to heal that wound? You could kind of do that consciously. Exactly. And in fact, yeah, in fact, that's what I do in the first couple of sessions with couples is... I identify their forbidden needs. And because they're an unconscious phenomenon, it's interesting at the end of like a session where I've talked a lot about a person's forbidden needs, often when they have their kind of hand on the door to leave, they say, um, you know, I have the feeling we talked about something really important, but I can't remember what it is. Oh, right. Because that's the relationship between conscious and the unconscious. Yeah, yeah. And I say, it, that's okay. I stored that information in the hard drive, which is your partner. And that's <laughs> And that's why doing this work as couples is so perfect. <laughs> because first of all, they're designed to heal your forbidden needs. Second of all, they're the perfect projection for you to do judgments so that you can find out what your forbidden needs are, the opposite of the judgment. And third of all, they're the ones who can know what your forbidden needs are. And so when you either judge or are courageous enough to ask, they can know that this is the place 
to tread really tenderly in this relationship mm. and meet that need, even if it's a little inconvenient in that moment, to begin the healing process. Yeah, right. That this is the, the greatest gift we can give to the one that we love is to be, become conscious of their forbidden needs and to know that that's an edge for them. And, you know, because it's also, I, I, I assume as I listen to you, this is also the point where we get really triggered, right? It's like you blow up really fast um, because this, this subconscious minefield just got trodden on. And, you know, it, it's like there's a lot of charge, right, behind some of these things. Well, and that's another way to tell about a forbidden need because the charge will not be... Uh, um, equal to the situation. The situation will be light and the charge will be heavy. Right. If that happens, that's a forbidden need it's, that just blew up. Mm -hmm. So I'm not that crazy about using the word trigger because it, in this culture, it has kind of a, it's, uh, there's nothing I can do about that or it's going to be very hard to deal with that. In my model, you just time traveled into the past and you're screaming at your mother and but my wife says that when I go into a forbidden need, she sees it in my eyes. Uh -huh. And she's becomes very loving and gentle or sometimes leaves if I'm really <laughs> going at it. And she'll, she'll come back and she, the first thing she does is look in my eyes and she'll say, oh, you're back. Aww. <laughs> so really that's so not an important thing for couples, huh? To, to know... When you're, when you're looking, uh, well, I do use the word trigger, but I use it with transformation because I think it's one of the most useful things to learn about ourselves. Yeah. And I actually think if we work with those areas, that's where we can build trust. I, I believe you're saying the same thing, that the very things yeah. that cause the biggest conflict and the worst triggers are actually the places that are, that are calling us in. And if we know how to go into them, we can yes. build the best trust and the most solid relationship ever, right? So it's yeah. not like yeah. relationship shouldn't have these things. It's just that we need yeah know the tools to work with them to turn them around and to and to liberate the love that's trapped inside of them yeah so i'm okay to say i am i'm noticing i'm triggered the one i don't like is you just triggered me yeah yeah totally because i'm a real self-responsibility freak because yeah. uh, that's where the work can get done yeah so, so some other ways that you can notice that they're triggered was one of the things that you said always and never are part of the communication of a forbidden need Aha, uh -huh. so, you always do this and you never do that. It's, immediately the partner should switch out of the, the content about strategy and shift down to, oh, we've got a forbidden need here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're so not talking to you. Conscious, like your partner goes, you never put the garbage out. That was my thing, right? And then the other one, instead of arguing about, yes, I did it last Tuesday, That's should right. say, I think we're, we're touching on a forbidden need here. Let's see what that is right? Just shifts into a whole other level. Yeah. I mean, the way I would actually respond to it is, so I'm hearing that you're wanting more support. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So you do what we call making a needs guess. Mm -hmm. And what's wonderful about making needs guesses is, is my recommendation is that you try to make it slightly wrong. Oh, really? Because forbidden needs. The goal, the goal is for them to come to identify them consciously. Oh. So, so I had, yeah, I had a client wrong, who was... They'll, they'll think about it and they'll go, actually, no, what I really need is this. That's right. See, when you make a guess, what they need to do is go inside and check to see if it's true. 
And that's exactly what we want them to do. We want them to go inside, which is why I call my work embodied NBC. Uh-huh. I think that Marshall was so embodied, he didn't bother talking about the embodied piece of it. Yeah. But most of the rest of us, when we get triggered, we go flying up into our heads mm. and start talking about our beliefs and our limiting beliefs and our upset and all of that stuff. And that's all at the strategic level or the judgment level, which are way up here. What I want to do and what I do as a, as a mediator is I make feeling and needs guesses from people who are about to get triggered or just in the beginning stages of getting triggered so that because they're like just about to launch out their attack and I go, so I'm wondering if what you're feeling is this and you'll, I'm an NLP practitioner also, so I'll watch their eyes drop down mm -hmm. as they look into their body, trying to figure out what it is they're feeling. Yeah. I've got them right where I want them Correct. in their own truth. Yeah, yeah. So instead of going into projections and whatever, they start to have a look at what's really important, what's really underneath it all. Exactly. So in, do you think it's therefore possible for just one person and a couple, you know, something that comes up that I hear from a lot of people I work with, especially I do women's retreats and they all do all this work and they're like, but how am I going to go back to my husband? He doesn't want to do workshops. <laughs> you think it's possible for um, one person in the relationship to transform it? Or do you think it's just not a good idea to have a relationship that's like that? Well, first of all, I think if you're, if you tune into some of your forbidden needs, Wherever you are, you need to work that because that's your material. Right. Um, and um, if, if one person, if two people are tangoing and one person stops tangoing, you, at least you can't complain that we're tangoing all the time together. <laughs> that doesn't guarantee the other person is going to stop dancing. Um, and it's, I mean, the reason I do couples work, because I believe that that's the... Um, an amazing configuration for doing co-healing, mm -hmm. especially of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So the answer is, um, if you're the only one working, do your work. Um, you know, I, I've created a very low bar on the work that I do. My first session's guaranteed. There's no charge if either party says this wasn't any good. <laughs> so all you're wasting is an hour and a half. And so I've had a lot of people drag their partners in and how could their partners resist because yeah. there's no charge. <laughs> and I go after that partner the whole session, um, getting their needs met because that's really what this is about, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're expecting me to join with their partner and gang up on them. Right. And what I'm going to be doing is trying to satisfy their needs because that's the source of all of our satisfaction yeah yeah so actually they're gonna want to come back for more because finally someone's hearing their deep needs and and that fulfillment is such a natural longing for us as humans isn't it it's like fulfillment is peace yeah so at the end of the guaranteed session i say i stop five minutes early and i say okay so this is a guaranteed session. Did this have any value? And the one who was dragged in always speaks up first. Yeah, this was great. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> Think of all the energy, psychic energy you're using, fighting or walking on eggs or whatever it is you're doing while you're in the field of battle. Mm. Imagine what it would be like to live in what Marshall called 
the field of non-judgment mm. where I mean, I've been in a relationship for 15 years and I haven't been wrong in 15 years. <laughs> oh, that's a great line. <laughs> there, are, there are times when I haven't met her need and she communicates her desire. But, um, you know, in most relationships, that would be me being bad or wrong. Yeah, yeah. Imagine being, never being bad or wrong ever again Yay. with the person you love and <laughs> them never being wrong for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <sighs> something I so want for couples. That's something I so want. I know we're really on the same page here. I, I also love to work with couples and I, I love seeing when, when conflict can be dropped and, and love can break through because we have the potential that coupledom can be the greatest source of joy in our lives. And it can also be a, a battle zone for years and years on end. So it's, uh, it's just wonderful to hear your words, music to my ears. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all of this incredible, insightful tips for couples. It's really profound. And uh, I think it's going to help a lot of listeners who are listening to this. Yeah, I, I hope so. So that they can go to my website and watch a video of clients, make an appointment with me. I do all my appointments over the internet. Most of my appointments are worldwide. Super. And, and if you're a healer and you work with couples um, on my website, you can look into the training that I'm doing. I'm going to be teaching people how to add this into the process that you're already doing. So if couples go into conflict, instead of spending a lot of time dealing with that, because I only work the maximum of six sessions with couples, yeah. and usually I'm done in three. So wow. this will be a very fast way to just 180 degrees, just turn them around from conflict back into the return of effortless love. Oh, fantastic. I hope to join you on your training. I think it would be a great piece to add in to all of my tantra work. Great. And I'm glad that you're also working with Tantra and fusing it all together. It's just what the world needs. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared and for all the work that you do in the world. I will be posting all the links for everybody so they can find you. Great. This was fun. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye.